All right. Well, good morning. I am excited to be speaking today. And um, our message today is called Your Calling in the Church Family. Your Calling in the Church Family. We have a little graphic here of a little church building shape, but notice it's made out of people because, you know, church is not a building. We are the church. And I think our society's has it very ingrained in them that church has to be at a certain place in a certain way, but really church is who we are. We are the church. So uh, we're going to talk about what our purpose is in a church family, why we all need a church family. We're going to talk about what it looks like to have a healthy church family and what our role is in the church family. And I want to start off by bragging on you guys. Um, Dusty and I went out to dinner with some friends of ours the other night, and we went to and their associate pastors at their church, and they said, how's your church doing? How are your people doing? I, we just were like, they're fabulous. I told them, I said, they are the greatest group of people we could ever pastor, that they are giving, loving, encouraging people. They give of themselves in every form that they possibly could. So we thank you for how faithful you guys are to everything and how, what a healthy church family we have here. And you know, that's not to be taken for granted. That's not everywhere. I've known, unfortunately, some church families that had strife and contention and competition and all kinds of things that wasn't ever meant to be in a church family. A church family is meant to be your support system, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So today is about knowing why we're doing what we're doing and how to maintain that so that as we grow beyond these four walls that we will maintain this precious atmosphere that we've created. That's our heart Dusty's in my heart, is to maintain this family atmosphere no matter how small or large we become. We want to keep that. So we're talking about our calling in the church family. Dusty has been teaching several weeks on callings. We've talked about the five-fold ministry calling of the uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We've looked at biblical examples of those. We've talked about how our callings, the Bible says they're without repentance. The callings of God are without repentance. That The word repentance means that he's not going to change his mind. So whether we ever fall into that calling or not, God never changed his mind about you being in that calling. We've also talked about how callings are seasonal. And for some people, it's almost the season of their entire life that they're called to do this one thing. Or some seasons are shorter. Some are for several decades, and then they move on to something different. And some are smaller seasons that they do things. Sometimes you have multiple callings that are simultaneous. And whether you're called to the fivefold ministry, whether you're called to be a missionary, a Sunday school teacher, you do some kind of position in church, like work with children or teens or senior citizens, you uh, feed the hungry, you visit people that are you know, at home or in the hospital, whatever it is that you do, even ministering to your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, all of those callings have one thing in common, and that is that they are meant to point people to Jesus. All of those callings, whether you think it's a small calling or a big calling, it's meant to point people to Jesus. And it's not just meant to point people to Jesus for the sole purpose of salvation. That is what it's for. But to know Jesus in his fullness, which means to tell people their identity of who they are once they're born again. That God is not mad at them. He wants to be in relationship with them. He sent Jesus so that there would be a way for relationship. And then once that relationship's established for them to grow up into the fullness of Christ, we're going to talk about that today, so that they know that they don't just have fire insurance from hell after they pass away, but that they can live the abundant life. 
and that Jesus on the inside of them can be their prince of peace, their healer, their provider, their soundness of mind, their joy. They, he can work love through them so that they can be reconciled fully to God. That's what all of our callings are for, for that sole purpose. So I use the word reconcile. The word reconcile means to be put in right standing. And if you look it up in the Strongs, it talks about it was an exchange. And we exchanged our life for Jesus. He took our sins and sickness and pains and sorrows and poverty. And then we took his health and soundness of mind. So the exchange is that reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verses 17 through 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means they're born again, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you can't ever say if you're born again, well, I don't have a calling. Yes, you do. We all have the exact same calling. It's the ministry of reconciliation. So why do we need this ministry of reconciliation? Not why do we need it, but how do we flow in this ministry of reconciliation? You know, when you got born again, your spirit man got born again. And your spirit is perfect. It's been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And your spirit man knows everything it needs to know. But you know what doesn't know sometimes? Our soulical realm. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality. And you may know that you're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel in whatever capacity the Lord puts on your heart. But you don't know how to go about it. Well, you can't go about it if you're not equipped to do it. So where do you get equipped to do it? Well, that's where your church family comes into play. One of the ways. What equips us for the ministry of reconciliation? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. We looked at this a few weeks ago. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What did he give those fivefold for? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is that ministry of reconciliation. The fivefold ministry was meant to equip us to be able to go out and do our ministry. You know, our society has taught people in church that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are the only people that are supposed to go out and do the work of the ministry. That it's their job to lead people to Christ and their job to do this and their job to do that. No, it's the saint's job. It's all of our job to do the work of the ministry. And that fivefold ministry's job is to equip the saints to do that, to prepare us to do that. We're going to continue. For the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. We don't just get born again just to have a, a get-out-of-hell ticket. We get born again so we can know the fullness of Christ in our life. Our spirit man knows it, but we've got to be renewed in our mind that that's who we really are. We do that through studying the Word of God and fellowshipping with our church family and being taught by the fivefold ministry revelations of who our spirit already knows. And then once our mind is renewed to that, now we can walk it out in body. And so now we can go boldly and do the ministry of reconciliation in whatever form we're called to do it in. And we can do it because now we're equipped to do it. But you know, 
We've been tricked in society into thinking, especially nowadays, that we don't need people. We're okay by ourselves. For the first time ever, church is at the lowest it's ever been. Fewer people than ever are going to church. People who used to be faithful churchgoers have just slowly but surely trickled away. And the pandemic really did a number on the church. Because people got really comfortable going to church by watching it on television, looking it up on YouTube, listening to a podcast. And you know what? Praise God for those technologies during the height of the pandemic. I'm thankful for them. There's nothing wrong with them. But that isn't meant to be what we do all the time. And so now you have people in their homes who mom might watch the message at some point whenever she gets a chance. And dad might watch the message when he gets a chance. And they might fast forward to, yeah, okay, okay, I got it. Let me skip this part. And then they get interrupted and they walk away or life happens or whatever. And then the kids get nothing at all. And you're not getting the benefit of being in person in a church family. And that's how we grow up into the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 says that we should no longer be children. That implies that we need to grow up beyond children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know, when you get equipped and grounded in who you are, then it is so much harder for the enemy to trick and deceive you. But there's a lot of the body of Christ who they got born again. They've kind of isolated themselves. They're not connected into a family support system. And so they just kind of flounder around and they get tricked and deceived into believing anything that comes down the pike. I've been kind of shocked at the number of people. If you put reverend in front of somebody's name, everybody just believes that everything they say is absolute truth. They buy everything hook, line, and sinker. They never go to the Word of God for themselves to verify. Is that what it says? Has the Holy Spirit on the inside of me confirmed that that's the truth? They don't have anybody to encourage and uplift them. So when they're alone and they get down in the dumps and sad and depressed, they don't even know how to stir themselves up like the Bible tells us to because they're not equipped to be in their own identity in Jesus Christ, much less be able to go out and reconcile anybody else. They get tossed to and fro. You know, Jeannie and I were talking the other day. We both have received an email. She got her several months ago, and I just got mine. You might have received it too. Got an email from Facebook, and it said that they it said, "Hello, Heather. We have developed a new community. We think you would want to be a part of, and it's called Facebook's Group of Faith and Spirituality." And I'm gonna be honest with you. If Facebook is creating it, that has red flags all over it. I don't think Facebook knows very much about faith and spirituality. And that word spirituality rings a bell too. Because if you're not careful, spirituality can lead over really easily into new age beliefs. Believing that I'm God. Believing in a universal thought that nature is God. And I'm my own salvation and things like that. But you know what? I know who I am. And I know that everything I believe is founded on Jesus Christ. But if I don't know who I am and Facebook sends me that email, I might go, well, isn't that wonderful? They're going to create a a, a community of spirituality. Let me just jump on board here. And Jeannie personally knows people who did. And you know what? They've gotten some awful things in that group. Very deceptive and misleading. And you can fall for it if you're not equipped to know who you are and you've not been rooted and grounded. All right, let's pick up with verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When we are part of a church family and we have connected in to a healthy environment, the fivefold ministry, you know, Dusty talked about that on the, the example of on the hand, that your shepherd and pastor connects to the heart like the ring finger does because that person cares about you and they shepherd you. And, and if they see something in your life that seems like it's going to deceive you, then they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, here's what the Word says. Let's go back to the Word of God. And then the teacher, they provide stability in our lives so that when something comes down the pike, I'm just like, I'm stable. You're not moving me. You can't trick me and deceive me. And I'm stable enough to know who I am so I can go tell other people, here's who you are. Let me help you be reconciled to God and know him in his fullness because I'm stable and I'm rooted and grounded. I'm shepherded and protected by the people around me. And I can be edified, stirred up and encouraged. So when I do have those moments of maybe something just didn't go my way or I'm discouraged or I've been sick or whatever, that I don't just float along alone in my depression and sadness, that I have people in my life who check on me and care about me and love me and take care of me and say, hey, you can do this. I've watched you guys do it. I've watched you take care of each other and it just inspired me so to see that each of you have had moments, myself too, where we needed something from each other and everybody was there, just right there. Let me help you. What can I do for you? And then when you were better, then you were able to turn around and help somebody else. But you know what? If you're out there by yourself, I don't need a church family. I don't need anybody to tell me or teach me anything. I don't need to be shepherded. And that's a deception of the enemy because he doesn't want you to know who you are. So then you won't go do anything and you're not a threat to him anymore. But do you notice it says that when every part we each do our own calling confidently, it causes growth not just for us but for the whole body. Think about how much can be accomplished when I'm doing my, my part and you're doing your part and you're doing your part and you're doing your part and then all of us together as a whole are also doing something. We impact the world. We impact our community and the people around us. They see a difference and they are drawn to that family. You know, I've worked with teens my whole life and there's always those teenagers who it's kind of like the kids are drawn to that, those house, it's one person's house. You know what I'm talking about? I have a friend, her name's uh, Sarah Gamble. She's an example of this. Kids are drawn to Sarah's house. They will go to her house. You know why? She loves them. She nurtures them. She tells them who they are in Jesus Christ. She will tell them the truth straight in their face, even if it's not something they want to hear. She'll get all up in their face and tell them, this is wrong and you don't need to be doing it. That's still love. I love you enough to tell you, no, this is wrong. Your parents might not tell you. I'm going to tell you. You know what? They keep showing back up at her house because they need to be loved and people are drawn to love. When Dusty and I were going to start the church, this was several years ago, it was on our heart. And I was thinking, I was so overwhelmed. I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've helped with churches and been involved in church my whole life. But to think that it was going to be a church we were going to start, I said, Lord, why would anybody ever come? And you know what he told me? He said, aim for love, not perfection. Because I kept thinking, i got to get this right, and i got to have this, and i got to have this. He said, no, if you aim for love and not perfection, when people are loved, they are drawn to you. And so we can stir each other up with that love. 
and we're edified. Notice it says edifying itself. When you're mature enough, you know how to stir yourself up. And it's not wrong to need somebody else to stir you up. But what if you can't get to somebody else in that moment? What if something happens and everybody's at work or on a trip and they're not there and you feel that panic or that anxiety or fear or depression's coming at you? You are mature enough and stable enough to go, no, I do not receive that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm going to take this moment. I'm just going to praise God in the midst of a negative situation. I'm going to sing his praises. I'm going to declare his word. If I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost, I'm not praying the Holy Ghost. I'm going to just seek the Lord and stir myself up and not just sit back. I'm now mature enough. I can do that. I'm so established. I can stir me up and you up and the people around me up. Notice we're edified in love. It's that family of love. But if you don't assemble with the church family, then you're missing that piece. Let's see what the word says about assembling as a church family. Over here on the right side, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When we think about each other and we spend time together, I stir you up to love and you stir me up to love. And good works. When you love somebody, by default, good works happen. So it's not something I have to really work hard to do. It's just what keeps happening because I love you and you love me. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So even when this was written so long ago, Apparently, there were some who were not assembling together. It's necessary, and you need to assemble in person. You need it. You know, I have two adorable nephews that I see pictures of on social media. My brother and sister-in-law send us videos and pictures. We FaceTime, all these things. But you know what? There is nothing that suffices seeing those sweet little faces in person and hearing the squeals and the giggles and they call Dusty Dut Dut. And so they'll go, Dut Dut! And then they tack, you know, Ethan tackles him into the floor and all this kind of thing. But you know what? It's the in-person. And those of you that are parents and grandparents, you know, there is nothing that suffices seeing people face to face. Do you know you have an atmosphere you bring with you? You have the presence of the Lord that you bring and when we come together, it comes corporately together. So we need to assemble. The phrase, I'm looking over here at the left, the phrase, the assembling together, is from the Greek word episunagoga. And it refers to a gathering together in one place. You're not gathering together if you're watching on YouTube or on television. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that on occasion, but that should not be what you do. As you, you, don't, you can't call that a church family. You're not plugged in with anybody. The Strongs defines it as a complete collection, especially a Christian meeting for worship. I love the phrase complete collection. Think back to the scriptures in 1 Corinthians where it says that we're many members but we're one body. And you talk about the hand and the foot and the mouth and the ear and all the pieces. Well, when we assemble together in a healthy church family, we're a complete collection. And instead, we've got sometimes people who are Sitting at home being a foot, but they have no head on them, their body to show them where to go. Or they're an ear and they're trying to hear, but they can't go out and do anything with what they're hearing because they're not connected to anybody. 
We need people. We need to be connected and we need to assemble together. This is why we do it. So many people have been taught that you go to church because it's on your Christian to-do list. It's your checklist. And I show up and I'm here and I walk away. Uh, There's a line in one of my favorite movies, which is Still Magnolias. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a movie with a lot of Southern women from the 1980s. But there's a line in it where Dolly Parton says, Oh, honey, it don't matter what church you go to. Just as long, oh, God don't care what church you go to just as long as you show up. It's a funny line in the movie, but I disagree with it. He's not just looking for you to show up. And people have that concept. Well, if I just show up, it's okay. And sometimes they even look at it as, okay, I kept him happy with me. So now if I have a prayer request, he's going to be more likely to answer it. No, he doesn't need you to be in the church family. He wants you in a church family for your benefit so that you can get rooted, grounded, equipped, and established to know who you are so you can go and do what you're called to do. Yeah, he doesn't need anything. He is always a giver. So what does it look like in a healthy church family? What is our part to play? What do we do in a church family? Well, first of all, Be present and involved. Not just physically present, but you're present in the midst of everything. That if it's about your family, you're a part of it. You're a part of it. You know, I think of my parents at a church that I grew up in. We used to do this big fall festival every year. And when I was a kid, oh, I was so excited. It was the greatest thing of that time of year, and we would go and have a great time. My parents worked every year. They worked a booth. They did food. They did something. We did it for years and years and years. And then my brother and I were both grown and we were married and we all still did it together. And then I had kids and so now my kids went. And then they had kids and then their kids went. And then we went off to do another ministry and they moved to be near my sister-in-law's family. And so my parents went and they said it was kind of weird because they have no children there. But you know what? You know why they were still there? Because it was their church family that was having something. When we're a church family, we support each other. We do whatever the family does. We look at the greater good for everybody. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. In this chapter, this is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down as cloven tongues of fire and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter is speaking to this group of people and it says, then those who gladly received his word, that's Peter's word there, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. So I want you to notice something. After they got born again, the apostles didn't go, Awesome! See you later! Nope. They stuck together. It said they continued steadfastly. That means it was a a repetition, a habit, a routine, what they did as a norm in the apostles' doctrine. Some translations say in the apostles' teaching. I think the Amplified calls it in the instruction of the apostles. In other words, they had someone from the fivefold ministry speaking into their life. And then it says, and fellowship. That meant they talked to one another and spent time together. Breaking bread. There is something powerful about eating with people. And I know that sounds funny, but think about it. We do it at anything we consider significant. A holiday, a date, after church is a fellowship. If it's significant and important, you sit down and have a meal. 
society is getting away from this, but the concept of the family at the end of the day coming together for a family meal. And everybody wants to know, what did you do today? How was your day? What went on? It's a getting to know one another, knowing how I can help you and you can help me. And, and just the good, bad, and the ugly of life. We want to talk to each other and fellowship together. They did that, breaking bread and in prayer. Prayer can be a private thing and you pray corporately together for each other. In a true family, people notice when you're not there. Not because they're keeping record of your attendance, but because they miss your fellowship and the individual atmosphere you bring to the family. Now, I will tell you this. There are some churches who are tracking your attendance. I've seen some of that. Like, Sister so-and-so didn't come today. This is the third Sunday in the row. But I don't ever want that to be here. We, if we ever check on you because you've missed church, it is because we want to know, are you okay? What can we do? And if you're just like, I just, I just needed a day to rest. Okay, awesome. Just wanted to make sure you were good. There's no condemnation. There's no, I'm tallying how often in a year you've missed. We just, that's what family does. You know what? Kaylee Lauren is my late sleeper, and she would sleep the day away if we'd let her. But there comes a point when I know a certain time of day, if Kaylee hasn't gotten up yet, I'm going to go check on her and just make sure she's okay. And she always is. But that's because I love her and she's in my family. I call my mama. Sometimes I drive her crazy because I talked to her the day before. And she goes, I'm still here. She just had knee surgery, so she's really not doing a whole lot these days. So she says, I don't have anything else to tell you. She said, I didn't go anywhere else. I've been reading in my book. But you know what? She's my mama, and I check on her. That's what we do. You're welcome. That's what we do. That's what family does. So when people check on you and we check in on each other, it's a sign that we love each other, we're valuable to each other, we need each other, and you bring something nobody else can bring. You know, a few weeks ago when Matt and Amy and Harper were on vacation and Carol, when we sat down to lunch, those of you that were here, was it not strange? It was kind of like this really quiet, everybody's eating, and there was no little, you know, giggles and nobody running around and playing. And during praise and worship, Matt wasn't playing, and then Amy wasn't running around chasing Harper, and it just sitting. No, Carol wasn't over there, and it was just like we were missing a piece. When Joanne had her surgery, there was nobody over there, and nobody in a chair here. And it just seems when somebody's not here, we miss you because you bring something unique that nobody else has. And then being involved, find an area in which to get involved. Seek the Lord about what you can do and communicate your desire to help. Sometimes you know you want to help, but you don't tell anybody and nobody realizes you wanted to help in the first place. And you may say, well, Heather, we're a pretty small church. I don't know what I can do other than what I'm already doing. Well, I say this because I want us to think bigger. I truly have an expectation and belief that we are very soon going to be beyond these four walls. We're going to be in a bigger place, and we're going to be drawing in more people. So before we get there, I would hate for us to be in a building for six months, and we're all still roaming around going, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, who's going to do this? Well, who's going to do that? I want us all so ready that the day we get that building, everybody runs straight in and goes, I know what I'm supposed to do and where I'm going to do it. Because you've been praying about it. You've been seeking God and saying, God, show me what to do. Show me how to get involved. Maybe it's something you've always done, and you know just how to do it. Maybe it's something you've never done before and the Lord keeps prompting you with it and you're going, you sure? Me? Okay. There was a lady that we used to go to church with and she said that she had prayed and told the Lord, God, I just want to be helpful. Show me where I can help. Help me to find a place to, to minister. And the very next Sunday, the pastor got in the pulpit and said, we're looking for a preschool teacher. And she said, she was like, oh, well, 
That's not what I meant, Lord. Whatever else next you need, you just let me know. And it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't go away. And she was like, okay. So she said she went and told them, I'll teach the preschool class until you can find someone else. Years later, she was still teaching the preschool class because she loved it. Those babies were her life, and she would plan all week long for them and adored them. You never know what God's got in store for you, and He can change your heart or your mind just like that. So don't be afraid to step into something just because you think you don't know how to do it or you've never done it. Maybe you're the, I love to be in front of people. Well, great. Maybe you can do announcements or introductions or whatever it is. Or maybe you're like, I don't want anybody to know I'm doing something. Okay, well, sit behind the computer and click the words. Or do something, you know, set up coffee, a coffee station or whatever. There's always something for people to do. And you know what? When we walk in love and we're a family, just because somebody does a ministry differently than you would do it, you have enough grace to go, well, that was an awesome idea. I'm glad you thought of that. That's not how I would have done it, but that's awesome. Instead of going, well, that's not what I would have done. They should have done this and this and this. No, we're a family, and we learn to value and treasure each way somebody does something. Because more than one of us can have the same calling, but we're never all going to do it the same way. Everybody is unique, and you bring something special. What else can we do? Engage in worship. You know, Dusty and I and my parents, we've been in worship ministry a long time, and nothing is more frustrating as a worship leader than to stand up to lead worship, and you feel like you have hit a brick wall. I mean, it is just like you cannot seem to power through it. Dusty and I have ministered in a church before where you looked out at the congregation, and every person there, they literally just stood there with their hands on the chair in front of them. They didn't sing. They didn't smile. They didn't frown. They were just, it's like they just existed. And when it was over, this man walked up to me and he goes, that was awesome singing, honey. I was like, thank you. And it was kind of one of those, you know, between singing and preaching moments. So I didn't have a long time to talk to him. But I kept thinking, it wasn't supposed to be a singing moment. It was a worship moment. And I think you missed your chance. You know, worship is a personal thing. It's also a corporate thing. And we can practice worship at home and do it in our own time. I'm not, I shouldn't say practice, but we do it at home and then we come and we do it together. And you know, we all have the anointing of God on the inside of us and it's powerful at home, but we get that corporate anointing when we come and do it together. Do you know, have you ever sensed that almost a tangible presence when we're all in one accord in one place and we're worshiping together? Worship is more than singing words. It's an involvement of your soul your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your personality. You are reflecting on who God is, who I am. It's an opportunity to reflect on, declare, and celebrate who the Father is and who you are because of Jesus on the inside of you. So sometimes we sing songs straight to Him. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Straight to Him. And then sometimes we're encouraging ourselves. Through you, I can do anything. Right? These are songs, not just, well, that sounded had a good tune, we'll pick that one. That one had a good tune, we'll pick that. I'm not picking that, I didn't like that tune. No, we, I pour over the words of the songs. I refuse to lead a congregation to sing words that are untrue about the Father or untrue about themselves. There was a song we used to sing, and it used to say, the second line of it, there's nothing good in me. 
And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So I changed it to, and you live inside of the first, uh, you are good, you are good, and there's nothing, when there's nothing good in me, I changed it to, you are good, you are good, and you live inside of me. And I know that that song was probably looking back to pre-Christ and post-Christ, but I just felt strange declaring something about there's no good coming out of me because Jesus is in me. So what's coming out of me is good because of Jesus. So engage in worship. It's more than you just showing up to worship. Get involved. And so maybe somebody around you doesn't worship the way you worship. You know, sometimes we have been trained by the church we grew up in or what society told us is the norm for worship. And this has to happen this way. And then you do this, but you don't do that. The Bible has all kinds of forms of worship. And I, I got a paraphrase these here. Psalms 47.1 talks about clapping your hands and shouting. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. If you want to clap, you clap. If you feel like shouting, shout. There was a lady at the church we used to go to. She gets so excited during praise and worship. She'd go, woo! Now, I don't think I have very often times done that. But you know what she did? And she was worshiping the Lord. And clap your hands. Whether you can clap on beat or off beat or every 12 beats, whatever you want to do, you clap. Ephesians 5, 19 through 21 says to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That means I don't care if it's from a hymn book. I don't care if it's a modern day worship song. I don't care if it's a song that you made up on your own or if you're singing in the Holy Spirit. Worship the Father. Hebrews chapter 2, 12 says, In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. There's that collection of people again. So you do it by yourself. You do it with your church family. Church family is a safe place. It should be a safe place to worship where you don't feel judged. You don't feel like everybody's going to think I'm weird. This is our family and we worship together. The book of Psalms, oh my goodness, I didn't even put down all the scriptures. You can just start at the beginning and go straight through. They worship with instruments, all different kinds. Some of them I never even heard of. I don't know what it is. They lift hands. And so that might be a lift hands, a lift hands, a lift hands. Have y'all seen the Tim Hawkins video about the different types of hand raising? You should look that up. It's hilarious. Some people bow down before the Lord. Some people dance before the Lord. So just because people worship differently than you, don't get uncomfortable. Worship. You worship. You engage in however you engage in worship. I like to think of worship kind of like a swimming pool. So we've got some people off on the side going, I don't swim. I don't want to get my hair wet. And then you've got some people and they're sitting on the steps and they're going, I'm in the pool. I'm just going to sit right here and splash around. And then you got somebody and they're a little further out. And they're in the three foot and they're like, I'm in the pool, yeah. And then you got people and they're out in the five foot and they're like, I'm in the pool, yeah. And then you got that one person who's at the far end on the diving board and they're jumping up and down on the diving board, cannonball! And then they get out and they run around and they get back on again. Everybody, other than the person who refused to get in, everybody had an experience with the water. Everybody can have an experience. And I challenge you, wherever you've been in the pool, try to go out a little deeper and see what it's like. I will tell you this, the first time you ever lift your hand in church, it feels like, oh my gosh, everybody's staring at me. Everybody's looking. My hand went. (laughs) And you know what? I don't think anything of it now. I'm just free to worship. That's me. If it's not you, that's okay. Practice at home if you want to. If you're like, I really want to do it. I just can't seem to bring myself to do it. Practice at home. Whatever you want to do, as long as it lines up with the Word of God, then worship because we're a family and we support each other. And worship, you can get set free. You know why we do it first typically is because it's a moment for you to take away all of the distractions you've been through all week long. So now I can sit down and receive the Word. 
Uh, Dusty and I, when we did youth ministry, we had to do worship at the end of the youth service just for logistics purposes. And it was a powerful thing then too because they had received the word and then they had an opportunity to praise God for what they had received and what they had heard. And the Holy Spirit could minister to them and speak to them things that they had heard during the message. So there is no certain place it has to be, but we are supposed to engage. That's part of being active in your church family is engaging in the worship. Receive the next one. Receive and attend to the word with a teachable spirit. You know, Jesus said, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. He's not talking about their physical ears. They could physically hear him. What does that mean? They weren't taking it in. You can sit through a service and hear everything that's said and never actually receive anything. You know, I'm going to tell on myself, I've been guilty of that before. I've allowed the distractions of life to occupy my mind, and all of a sudden I realize my mind is anywhere but on what's being said because I got caught up in the distractions of life. You know, it talks about the sower that sows the word and the the weeds come in and choke the word. The cares of this life, the cares of this life came in, and it choked the word so it couldn't even get rooted and grounded in me because my mind was elsewhere. So we have to make a choice. We have free will. You can attend church and receive absolutely nothing. People do it all the time. Dusty had a, a new employee come work for him, and he, Dusty was talking to him about some things that they discuss in meetings and kind of things that are considered by the company no-nos in meetings. And one of the things Dusty said to him that's a no-no is they don't use foul language. He said, we typically don't discuss politics, and we don't get very much conversation about religion. And the man said, oh, don't worry about it. I went to church when I was little, but I'm an adult now. I don't go anymore. And he had this concept that I only need it when I'm little. And so if you notice, people will send their children to church, but they don't go. We have a concept, sometimes we don't need it. Or maybe we know we need it, but the next thing you know, we're not even receiving it. You and I have to make a conscious choice to receive the word and say, Lord, teach me today what I need to receive. The next part of that is to attend to the word. What does that mean? That means that I listen to it and then I let the Holy Spirit on the inside of me help discern what I need from it and show me something from it. Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You may have a man or woman in the pulpit speaking to you, but the Holy Spirit can use them to speak something directly to you that you needed to know. I have actually had people come up to me after I've spoken before and say, when you said this, oh, it just ministered to me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm thinking, when did I say that? I'll actually go back and listen to the recording and go, well, that's not really what I said. But you know what? The Holy Spirit helped their ears to hear what needed to be heard from what I said because they were listening to the Word and then they allowed the Holy Spirit to confirm, explain, and discern the information. Maybe what you heard hits you kind of funny and you were like, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if that's the way I've always been taught that. So you, either, you have a choice. You can either go, well, psh, I'm not listening to anything else. Or we can go, okay, Holy Spirit, help straighten this out for me. Show me what I need to know about this. Show me where the truth is. Take me to your word and reveal this to me. And it may not be an instantaneous download from the Holy Spirit in that moment, but he will connect you to people and scriptures and messages and things that will help straighten that, belief system, that, that out in your belief system. Sometimes things are said from the pulpit 
that you were not in a place to receive it yet. Sometimes we've got, you know, we've talked about our belief system, uh, the soil of our heart. Sometimes we've got rocks and weeds in there that's going to take a little longer to get them out before that seed can actually really get planted. You know how it talks about some people plant and some water and some reap the harvest? And it's usually referring to salvation, but that's with anything. Dusty may teach something that it kind of just bounced off of you. And then later I come and teach or we have somebody else or one of you speak something. And a year later, all of a sudden you have that, oh, you know what? I've heard that before. And you may not even know where you've heard it, but the Holy Spirit helped discern that on the inside of you. The last piece of that is having a teachable spirit. Having a teachable spirit means we receive what is taught without pride. The Holy Spirit can always teach you something new or expound on something you already know. So how might we be prideful when, we were, when we're listening to the Word? Well, sometimes we look at the person delivering the message. What if they're, you're more educated than they are? What if you're thinking, well, they've not even been to seminary? Or you think, well, I've, I've been a Christian longer than they have. Or maybe they've read the Bible through only one time and you've read it through 15 times. We come with pride because we think, well, I've done more than they've done, so how can they teach me? Or they're too young. I got news for you. There is no junior Jesus or junior Holy Spirit that goes into children. Children can teach you amazing things about the Word of God. Dusty had a Word of God confirmed to him by a six-year-old girl. This grown man was on the ground just boo-hooing on his knees because that little girl confirmed something in him. And he had a moment where he could have said, she's six, what does she know, and walked away. But he remained teachable and said, okay, Lord. Dusty even had this came to my mind. He was at work one day, and he there was in the lobby of where he worked. There were these men that would come in and shine shoes. They did it to get extra money. And there was an elderly gentleman and his son, and they had come for many years. And Dusty had let them shine his shoes many times and and paid them. And the man was quite senile. And Dusty said it was kind of like nobody was home. He was his eyes were kind of glazed over, and he just mumbled all the time things you really didn't even know what he was talking about. And Dusty said he was shining his shoes, and one day he stopped. It's like his eyes cleared up. He looked at Dusty. He said something very clearly and plainly, and then his eyes glazed back over, and he went back to shining Dusty's shoes, and Dusty came home and said, that man answered a question that I asked the Lord. And Dusty could have said, he's a mumbling old man. Why do I have to listen to him? We have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. And, you know, the Bible even talks about how a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Sometimes when we're too familiar with people, it's hard to receive. Well, that's my kid. That's my brother. That's my mom. What does she know? That's my child. Whatever. Sometimes we look at people based on our familiar family relationship and go, I can't receive from them. They're not going to speak anything to me. What are they doing getting in my business? But the Holy Spirit can use anybody. A family member, a stranger, somebody you've known for years. Be teachable. Be ready to receive and let the Holy Spirit use whatever. Even the idea, I've done this one. I'm just telling on myself here. When the minister stands up and says, today we're going to talk about, and they name something you've already heard a message on. For example, today we're talking about the prodigal son. You go, oh my gosh, I've heard a thousand messages on the prodigal son. You know what? Here's one more. And the word is inexhaustible and we will never, ever 
bring out of it every value that it has. It is always it always has more. It always has more. It always has more. That's right. Brought back to your memory or said in a different way. You might have heard different people say it. And this one person can say exactly what they said, but the way they said it, it finally registered for you. Uh, There was a minister that I heard of who he had, this is a long time ago because it was a cassette tape, but he had a cassette tape of a, these young people are laughing at me here. They had a cassette tape of a message and he said he felt really impressed upon his heart to listen to that message. So he brought his cassette player into the bathroom and he listened to it every day as he got his shower and shaved and got ready. And he said he listened to it and he listened to it and he listened to it and he listened to it. I mean, this went on for months. And his wife said, how long are you going to listen to that? You could preach that message yourself now. He goes, I don't know, but the Lord won't let it go. I just keep feeling like I'm supposed to listen. And he said one day, or his wife said one day, all of a sudden from the other side of the house, she hears him hooping and hollering. And she goes in there and he goes, he said something new today. And it was like, okay. The same message. There had been nothing changed. But today, the Holy Spirit brought out what he needed. Be teachable. Have that, that attitude of, I'm here to receive whatever you've got for me, God. And if I've heard it before, help me hear it fresh today. Show me what I need to hear from you. When we're invested in a family of believers, it leads to both personal growth and growth of the whole body. And then we're fully equipped to do the ministry of reconciliation. You know, you've all heard the statistic that in churches... 20% of the people do 100% of the work. You heard that statistic? And that's true whether it's a little bitty church or a huge church. And if you think of it like this, think like a sponge. You've got the 20% who their sponge was full. And they very excitedly go in and they squeeze their stuff out on everybody. But you know what happens? They get so busy because there's only 20% of them. They're trying so hard they don't have time to put anything else in. And eventually, they dry out. And they give up. And in church we call it burnout. And a lot of times they walk away from the family. And then you got the other 80% who just keep showing up going, pour it on me, pour it on me, sing at me, preach at me, entertain my children, do this for me. I'm never going to bring a thing or help or volunteer, but you just keep pouring it on me. A sponge can only take in so much. And what happens to a sponge if you just leave it laying in the sink full of water? That water is going to sour. And then they're just like, you know what? I'm tired of you people. I'm going to walk away. Because nobody did the, I'm supposed to give out and take in and give out and take in. The Bible says that everything in the kingdom of God works by the principle of sowing and reaping. And that includes our church family. We are supposed to take in from our church family and then give out to our church family. It's like breathing. It's just a natural in and out. Don't let society trick us into not fulfilling our part. We're called to be a part of a family so that we can grow, we can be loved, and then we can be love. We receive it and we give it. And then we personally grow and then the whole body grows. And now we're all equipped to go do the ministry of reconciliation. This is a paraphrase of a scripture we already looked at, Ephesians 4, 16. Every part... Doing its share causes the growth of the body. We have a healthy church body. We are not a dysfunctional family. We are a healthy, functioning family. 
This is why we do what we do. You are valuable, you are important, you are needed, and you have a place. And as we launch out and we bring in other people, let's maintain this healthy family so we can just take alabaster by storm. Amen. Amen. Amen.